The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Pray that as we consider it together, you would show us Christ, uh, that we might love him more deeply and fully and richly. Amen. Uh, So thank you, Charles, for reading. Uh, Do keep that open in front of you. Um, This week, I've been thinking about hymns, um, partly because I went to see Evelyn, who, um, uh, as uh, Joan and Audrey know, will often talk about the value of organs and hymns in church. And, of course, it's one of the lovely things about this service that we have. uh, Nice, good old hymns with an organ played most excellently by Julian uh, and Malcolm, some of which are old favourites, some of which are perhaps slightly less well-known. But whatever it is, there's something very satisfying about a good hymn sung well. And it's more than it just being a rousing melody uh, that's important Uh, But a good hymn has words that help us to express our faith. Um, The words express what we believe, uh, and the singing expresses our response, praise and gratitude to God. And good hymns will often contain quite complex theological ideas in ways that we can relate to. Now, I mention this because in our passage today, Paul seems to be quoting an early Christian hymn. Uh, to the Colossians. Um, It's got a slightly different tone about it to the rest of the letter, Um, so scholars think he's quoting a hymn that he and the Colossians knew to sort of make his point. And as you probably picked up as Charles was reading it, there's a lot packed into these verses. Uh, Lots of things the passage tells us about who Christ is and how reality itself fits together. And it's, it's nice and clearly laid out. It falls into two sections quite neatly. Uh, Christ as the Lord over all creation, that's verses 15 to 17, 18, and then Christ as the Lord over the new creation, verses 18 to 20. But Paul isn't just telling the Colossians this for information. Oh, that's interesting, isn't that nice? Um, No, like any good hymn, Paul wants to express his own amazement at who Christ is. And he wants the Colossians and us with them to be caught up in that as well. And we'll think what all this information about Christ means for us in due course. But we we mustn't just rush past what a majestic and and awe-inspiring even image that Paul is painting. Um, 
resist the urge to rush past it. So let's meditate together on these words and what they're really saying. Uh, So verses 16 to 17 speak of Christ the creator, the ruler over all creation. Uh, So let me read those verses again. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now when you think about it, these are remarkable claims. If we ask, who is Jesus? Was he just some carpenter from Nazareth? Was he just a man who healed a few sick people and said some nice things about loving one another? No, he is the image of the invisible God. When the disciples looked at Jesus, they were looking at God. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, as if we could somehow take a photograph of God. Now, of course, no one has ever seen God. Um, He is eternal, without limit, all-powerful. You you can't photograph something that doesn't have a body and exists everywhere. And yet God makes himself visible in Christ in a specific time and space and person. The church uses the language of Christ being fully God and fully human, uh, or incarnate, the incarnation. So God the Son, eternal, without limit, all-powerful, takes on for himself a human nature, born in time to Mary, in a specific space, and limited in the way that we all are. Human, and yet God being a human. And this is why I picked uh, uh, the the reading from Matthew. You may have thought it odd we were having a Christmas reading, but it dovetails with this passage from Colossians very nicely. It captures the same idea. Because the angel tells Joseph in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph was holding the newborn Jesus in his arms, he was looking at a human baby who would teethe and learn how to walk, but he was also looking at God, the one who spun the galaxies into existence. And what does that mean for how we think about Christ? Well, Paul continues, verse 15, Christ is the firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn, it doesn't mean that the Father created the Son first and then made everything else, because the Son isn't a creature, because if the Son was created, he couldn't be an exact representation of the Father, because the Father is uncreated. So, it it means more firstborn as in the Son and the Heir, preeminent over everything. And why is he so important? Well, verse 16 explains it for us. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through and for him. So anything you can imagine, absolutely anything, it has been created in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. 
Now, I'm going to do something I very rarely do at the four o'clock, and I tell occasional preachers not to do. I'm going to use a PowerPoint. Uh, Gideon, could we have the first image up on the screen, please? Uh, I'm doing this because I want to try and capture the scale of what we're talking about. And this is why I don't like... Oh, there we go. This is called the Mystic Mountain. It is a cloud of dust and debris made out of stars. Um, it's been captured by the, that image is captured by the Hubble telescope. That little section across on that screen, that is 28.5 quadrillion meters across. So that's 285 with 14 zeros on the end. That was made by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Let's try something else. Next slide, Gideon. So that's a, a diagram of a human cell uh, that makes up our bodies. Very intricate, finely balanced piece of equipment. There are, on average, 37.2 trillion of these in our bodies. So in this room alone, there's, well, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of cells. Uh, <laughs> Every single one made by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Because Christ is God, everything we can say about God's majesty and his power and his might, we can say of the Lord Jesus. That's, that's how we can say that the Jesus who lies in the manger in the Christmas narrative, he's the one who did spin the galaxies into existence. But even saying that Christ is the creator isn't quite enough. I've created lots of things badly, much less wisely than Christ, but I've still put things together. Um, I can probably admit this in this congregation. Alice got me some Lego for my birthday. I thought I was too old for it, but um, it, it was a nice, nice touch. Um, and yes, I got it out of the box and I put it together. Uh, and then I left it on the shelf. So in that sense, I've, I've been creative. But it's entirely possible I'll leave it to one side and forget about it, and it will still hold together without me. I don't need to keep building it over and over again. But look again at verse 17. In Christ, all things hold together. Christ doesn't just make stuff. doesn't just make us and then forget about it. No, he sustains all things, keeps all things from collapsing back into nothing. We are all here because Christ continues to sustain our very existence. It's not grudging. It doesn't actually take him any effort, but we are here because ultimately Christ said so. And why? Well, verse 16 again, all things have been created through him and for him. All things are made for his glory. So I put together my Lego, it was a spaceship, my Lego spaceship, for my, for my own delight, and I was very satisfied with it. And in that sense, that is why Christ creates, to see delights in it. But when that Lego box came out of the factory, it wasn't made specifically for Rob Evans. It didn't have Rob Evans' name as it came off the conveyor belt. It was made for anyone. Yet... All things, the mystic mountain, the cells in your body, each of us, we are made 
ultimately and specifically for Christ, for his glory and his delight. He is the one we're for. Big ideas, and that's the point. It's meant to fill us with awe at Christ's majesty. But Paul doesn't stop there. There is even more to Christ than this. And you might think, what more can there be to say? How much more exalted can Christ be? What could be more important than making the mystic mountain or creating the cosmos? Where might we find the prize of his creation? Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Yes, the church, the poor beleaguered scattered church, the church to which you and I belong when we trust in Christ. And this is the second half of Paul's point in this passage. Christ is not only the Lord of all creation as its creator. No, verse 18 moves us on to the new creation. Um, Christ the Redeemer as well as the creator. Because the sad truth is that we don't experience a world that is obedient to Christ uh, as Lord and creator. We, We don't see the kind of harmony envisaged in verses 12 no sorry 15 to 17 we see conflict and tension in politics in relationships in ourselves Uh, and we see death the ending of life and all the goodness christ has created so although everything is made for christ not everything acknowledges christ creation has fallen Now, does this make Christ's creation a failure? By no means. It simply sets the stage for the pinnacle of his creative power. Because Christ is so mighty that he doesn't just create. He recreates and renews and redeems so that, verse 18, in everything he might have the supremacy. And this is where you and I really come into the picture. Because where does Christ start this new creation? with the church, the body, of which he is the head and the beginning. And how has he done this? Well, verse 19 refers to the incarnation, which we've already thought about, the moment when God in all his fullness takes on human nature, when God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And that's the moment Matthew's, the passage from Matthew describes God doesn't simply remain God, but becomes God with us. And why? Well, as the angel tells Joseph in the Matthew passage, you shall call him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what Paul is describing in verse 20 of the Colossians reading. Through Christ, God reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Paul will go on to say more about the cross in the following passage, which Steve McGregor will help us think about more next time. But for the moment, let's just say that whatever is broken, whether it's in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, it is ultimately fixed by the blood Christ shed on the cross. Whatever is scattered and in conflict is reconciled. The cross makes peace. And the great enemy, death, 
the great ruiner, has been disarmed. That's why it matters that Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. Just as he is preeminent over all creation, so he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the proof that death need not have the final word, that his good creation can keep going. And as we come to a close, I'd just like us to think about how this must have sounded to the Colossians. You know, there they were, on the edges of their society, ignored at best, suspected and ridiculed at worst, and that's how it's often been for much of the church's history. And yet what Paul tells them here, well, it's amazing. It's not simply that God loves them or that they're important. Those things are true, but it's better than that. It's that the church is the pinnacle of Christ's creation, the culmination, the centerpiece. It's the turkey at the Christmas dinner. It's your favorite painting in an art exhibition. Thinking of Pam Hinton, if you're listening to this online, that illustration was for you. It's the rousing final verse of your favorite hymn. The culmination of creation is the body and family to which all those trusting in Christ belong. Can you see what this means for Paul and the Colossians and for us? On the one hand, there is awe at the sheer majesty of Christ. But there's also assurance and hope. The one who created the cosmos, the one who sustains every atom that has ever or could ever exist, will think what it means for the church to be his prized possession. Think how safe and secure we must be. Because he is our head. He gives us purpose and direction. Just as our minds give purpose and direction to our arms and legs and he is our beginning perhaps a better word would be foundation deep secure foundations that can never be shaken because that foundation is the one who created everything so let us worship christ as he is due but in that worship and all be encouraged The Lord of all things, who is supreme in all things and reconciling all things, that same Lord is your foundation. You are a precious part of the pinnacle of his most powerful work. So let us praise him and rejoice. Amen.